Chapter 12, Rice Culture. My friend, Dr. Ken Snyder, has taught me so much about the Japanese culture. In a recent lecture, he articulated the concept of a rice culture. Having lived and worked in Japan for many years, he has become a true authority about Japan and the Toyota production system. Ken explained that because of Japan's limited agricultural land, they had to develop very efficient ways to grow and harvest rice. When you try to feed over 127 million people with the available land the size of West Virginia, you have to be very efficient. Over the centuries, they have developed techniques that produce more rice than anywhere else in the world. It goes back to perfecting the process and having a Kaizen mind. The rice farmer's attention to detail is amazing. There is no room for error. Precision is everything. Further, it is critical that everyone works together as a team. You plant together. You harvest together. Any deviation from coordination and precision could lead to the starvation of your community and your family. If you're unwilling to cooperate with the Kaizen way, you are expelled from the village. The rice culture mentality has affected the way corporations think and work together. It is the very essence of how the Japanese people have survived. When I asked the president of Maltec, Mr. Matsumoto, how he selects new employees, he responded, people who will not break the harmony. In other words, people who believe what we believe and who value what we value. People who want to be a part of our family and contribute in a harmonious way. What is the point of hiring someone and then having to struggle against them because they don't agree with the way you organize your company? This is rice culture thinking. I have often wondered when Japanese leaders share their insights, if they think it doesn't matter what we tell you because you don't have a rice culture. Having the answer without the supporting culture is like pissing in the wind. Do you have a rice culture mentality? I do, and I love it. I love the benefits. I love the thoughtfulness. I love that it completely differentiates my life from others. On my Japan study mission, most participants are in awe of the thoughtfulness of the Japanese culture. The most common conclusion is they're Japanese, and this would never fly in my country. But it has less to do with their country of origin and more to do with their thinking. If their assumptions and beliefs were overhauled, they could partake in the extraordinary results. Frankly, most of us think it's about DNA. But what it's really about is LTST, long-term survival thinking. I'm going to go off script here. You know, everyone always says, well, have Japanese always been this way? Well, to some extent, some of these characteristics and traditions have been there. But Japan has not always been this amazing, marvelous culture. You know, in the 70s and 80s, Tokyo was a very dirty place and it was terrible. But they, through daily Kaizen, kept refining themselves because they realized this was part of their competitive advantage. They had to come up with something unique and they developed this culture. Certainly their conditions have helped foster this way of thinking. So while I've been saying this is in their DNA, I don't mean it's in their DNA from birth necessarily. This is something that is learned. This is intentionally embedded in their DNA 
through what they practice on a daily basis, which is Kaizen, small improvements. So a lot of you believe in macroevolution. I believe in microevolution. This is the quintessential example of microevolution, small little changes that develop into a profound impact, the aggregation of marginal gains. This is what you're experiencing. Japan has not always been this amazing society. But today, what most of the world witnesses when they touch down in Tokyo or any other major city is, wow, this place is amazing. Back on script. LTST, long-term survival thinking. The Japanese are thinking long-term so they can ensure survival. We, on the other hand, are thinking short-term because survival in our mind is pretty much assumed to the Japanese Life is fragile, and there are no guarantees. If we are diligent, most of us are thinking about the next five years, but the Japanese are thinking about the next 100 years. I experienced this long-term thinking when I stayed at the oldest hotel in the world. The Nishiyama Onsen Hotel was founded in 705 AD. It has been continuously operated by 52 generations for 1,300 years. That is long-term thinking. That is survival thinking. Interestingly, Japan has the highest number of companies per capita that are over 100 years old. The difference in their thinking should cause us to pause and ask, what is our real purpose on earth? What are we thinking about for today, tomorrow, or 52 generations from now? Long-term thinking has deeply affected the way I run my company. For the past 19 years, I have been rebuilding and refurbishing everything about FastCap. And I'm not talking about physically rebuilding, although we've done a fair share of that. I'm talking about rebuilding and refurbishing our thinking. When people visit FastCap, they are arrested. They have never seen anything like it unless they've been to Japan. People working together with a common goal of developing one another so we can better serve our internal and external customers. There are no slogans on the wall, no posters admonishing people to think differently. Instead, we teach and train our people every day. Our morning meeting is a deep dive into the philosophy of operational excellence and the principles of historical greatness. These principles reside within each team member and provide a guiding light to every decision we make. Another example of how long-term thinking has influenced who I am and what I'm considering regarding my home. I built a spectacular 10-plus acre estate, but who would want to inherit something like this with its intensive maintenance and upkeep? The estate is meticulously landscaped in Japanese style, and it would take an unusual person to want to take on this level of responsibility. While I have employed lean thinking to make the maintenance manageable, it occurred to me that my home would make a perfect lean institute, a place where people could come and learn about my work and the influence Japanese thinking had on me. It would be a true retreat, a place where deep reflection and learning could take place in the context of beauty and serenity. Again, I'm not thinking about just one generation from now. I'm thinking 10 generations from now. Wouldn't it be fantastic if this philosophical idea about how to live your life could have an enduring impact far away from the island of Japan? The Japanese people have an uncanny ability to deploy deep thinking in the most important elements of life, the way people work and live together. Without a doubt, 
Their culture has proven to be one of the most advanced and sophisticated, all while delivering the highest standard of living the world has ever seen. Even more astounding is how they've accomplished these extraordinary results while so many of their other Asian neighbors have been relatively dormant. Most other Asian countries fall woefully short. It is only in the last 20 years that China, rich in both natural and human resources, has developed significantly. The only other countries worth noting are Singapore and Korea. All three of these countries make regular pilgrimages to Japan to study and emulate the Japanese. It is also noteworthy that Japan is a democracy and provides a greater platform for diversity of thinking than Singapore or China. This diversity of thinking could easily have had a deleterious effect on their culture because there are no strongmen dictating how it was going to be. But they have managed to sustain their cultural underpinnings despite the rapid globalization of the world's economy over the past 50 years. Put simply, when you go to Japan, you know you're in Japan. The thoughtfulness of this culture has been minimally impacted by the extraordinary connectiveness that exists in the world today. How and why have they been able to do this? In the rest of the chapter, I will give you my take on what sustains this culture. I will walk through some of the most important and profound experiences and understanding I have gained along the way. First, as we have discussed, Japan is all about quality. They have achieved high quality because of their attention to detail. Their attention to detail allowed them to comfortably work in a very precise environment. It's as if the entire culture has giant magnifying glasses on to see things the rest of us routinely miss. When I visited a precast concrete company in Kyushu, Japan, I was astounded by the quality and precision of their work. Remember, this is precast concrete, large structural forms that have no compelling reason to be cosmetically perfect. Nonetheless, they were as cosmetically perfect as anything I'd ever seen. Eyewitness workers filling pinholes in massive concrete columns and slabs that would be used to support parking lots and retaining walls. Other workers were sanding and polishing the slabs by hand. Others were chipping tiny pieces of concrete on rebar connection points, meticulously paying attention to the tiniest detail. All these workers were working diligently, seriously, with a smile on their face, deeply proud of the work they were doing. There was not a single person on their cell phone or distracted by anything, including us. Totally focused, total dedication, total attention to the details and quality. I never saw one supervisor hovering over them or watching them to make sure they performed their work to a particular standard. Instead, they were well-trained and performed their work with total dedication. When I asked the president of the company why they were so crazy about precision and quality, he retorted, because we want the customer to trust us. We are not trying to win their trust for the next job. We want their trust in business five years from now, 10 years from now, 40 years from now, and 100 years from now. When I asked why it is so important to have the customer's trust, he said, because we want to survive. Precision leads to quality. Quality leads to trust. Trust leads to survival.
Herein lies the key to understanding the Japanese way of thinking. This particular company was the beneficiary of the Lexus study group. Lexus has formed study groups for companies that want to improve their processes by learning the Toyota production system. Lexus sends representatives to work with companies year after year to develop their process, reduce defects, and improve quality. These companies have nothing to do with the automotive industry. Lexus does this to be good citizens in their community and to help their society. As a result, Lexus gains the benefit of living in a society and on an island where there are more thoughtful people. The beautiful thing about this is Lexus also benefits by becoming better communicators, better teachers, and better facilitators of excellence. This is exactly what we have experienced in my company. While most people are mystified by the millions of dollars FastCap spends to teach and train the world about lean concepts, two-second lean, and the Toyota production system, we understand that we are really the true beneficiaries. Our people are deeply proud of their work and are gratified that they're able to help other people from around the world. We have become better communicators, teachers, team members, and thought leaders. In addition, I personally am so much more satisfied that my work has helped so many people. It is not the size of my bank account that brings me joy. It is the size of the network of thoughtful people around the world that I know and call my friends. This is what I love about Japan, and particularly Lexus and Toyota. This is a page from Steve Jobs' book, Think Different. Toyota and Lexus think different. FastCap thinks different. We do the opposite of what common business practices suggest. We are not thinking about ourselves or the bottom line. We have fully embraced a different way of thinking. Japan is an island floating in the Pacific, battered by harsh geological and climactic conditions. It is a struggle to survive, but to the Japanese, it's life. It's a challenge, and it requires a Kaizen mind. The vast majority of the island is mountainous and not even habitable. As a result, the majority of the population lives in the coastal areas. Flatland is very scarce and at a premium, so they cannot afford to waste a single square inch. It is an island approximately the size of California with three times as many people. Can you even imagine what California would look like with 127 plus million people, three times the current population? Go off script. Chaos! Back on script. Survival has been at the forefront of their thinking for a long time. They have a survival mentality. Even though they have achieved great luxury and economic success, they have not allowed this luxury to make them lazy or complacent. Indeed, they have fully embraced the survival mentality because regardless of their success, a catastrophe could be right around the corner. In most cultures, the more accoutrements and luxury you acquire, the more it has a tendency to breed passivity and laziness. The Japanese have not succumbed to this predilection. The more successful they become, the harder they work and the more thoughtfulness they exhibit. There are many reasons they have been able to eschew this natural condition. First is the concept of survival. 
They have learned from past mistakes. For instance, the Japanese leadership went headlong into World War II, not thinking rationally about attacking the largest country in the world, China, and the most powerful country in the world, the United States. Instead, they acted irrationally and nearly evaporated their country. They learned valuable lessons and did a deep hansei, acknowledging their mistakes, and replaced the irrational with the rational. They walked right to the edge of the cliff and stared down into the pit and collectively as a society said, never again. Survival is paramount and they conduct themselves with this rational long-term thinking. When I was in a tier one Lexus supplier, I was watching them measure a process to remove a sixth of a second out of it. I asked the president if it stressed him out to have to pay attention to this level of detail. He told me that as Japanese, we don't know this word stress. If we don't do this, we don't survive. China is one day away from us. It is weeks away from you in the U.S. There is an entirely different level of urgency for us. The second reason is they are naturally self-effacing. In their mind, they are never good enough. As a culture, they've been able to maintain this disposition and it serves them well. It has allowed them to be consistently curious and never really satisfied. A few years ago, I organized a U.S. tour for Richio Shingo, the son of Shigeo Shingo. I put together about 10 companies who I felt would benefit greatly from having Richio spend a few days with them to evaluate their processes. Afterwards, I asked him about the tour. As he began to speak, I knew he would enumerate profound wisdom, so I pulled out my iPhone and began to record. I asked him about the company that he was most impressed with and the company that he was least impressed with, and it all came down to one stray nail. He explained that one of the companies he visited had shot a nail through a piece of wood and it came out the other side. He asked them, why there was a defect, and they replied, it didn't matter. No one would see it. Riccio said, that is not correct. Quality is seen and unseen. Quality should extend through the entire project. He then went on to ask, why did the nail come out of the wood? Because there was a knot in the wood. Why was there a knot in the wood? because they didn't see the knot before they installed the wood trim. Why do you order material that has knots in it? Because the supplier gave them wood with knots. Riccio said, you must go upstream. Go to the source of the problem. This is where quality starts. This is where precision can flourish. We continued to discuss why this is so important. And to my astonishment, Riccio led me sequentially through the deep understanding that I had come to love and appreciate about Japan. Quality leads to trust. Trust leads to survival. I am acutely aware that there is no certainty that all the work and effort I have expended in my life will endure in my lifetime, let alone generations to come. However, I have come to realize with certainty that an individual organization or society that focuses on quality has a much higher probability of survival. 
The specific path to achieve survival is to love precision, which eliminates defects. Fewer defects, higher quality, leads to customers that return generation after generation. The quality experience, not the slick marketing and sales program, is what keeps drawing customers back. This creates trust because of the dependable and predictable nature of the relationship. There are so many enigmas about Japan, but perhaps the greatest of all is their obsession with survival. They have created a platform by which they are able to live at a level far beyond simply feeding themselves. Think of the creativity that can flourish in an environment where you are not obsessed with surviving, but you are obsessed with the details about how you will survive. The details of the process have created abundance. Not only have you created a model that makes sustainability more likely, by default, you created a process that demands creativity, and in doing so, you become more creative and prosperous. So what's more important, survival or the details of how you will survive? Therein lies my thesis. Banish sloppiness and fall in love with precision. The one thing, sloppiness is a sure guarantee that survival is no guarantee. Thank you.